Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord our God. Darkness, 
my God, that is true, you are. Even when I don't see you, you're working. Even when I don't feel you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop seeing Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. Maybe seated. To God Be the Glory was written in 1875 by Fanny Crosby. The tune was written by William H. Doan that same year. The scriptural reference for this hymn is Psalm 29, verse 2, which says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Many of Fanny Crosby's hymns were written after hearing a tune someone played for her. In one famous case, she was asked what the tune said to her, and she responded with a complete hymn. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have as privileged as children of God to be, Lord, people who can glorify you and give you glory. What a tremendous privilege, God. And I ask you as we give these gifts in honor of you, Lord, we just so are thankful for the blessings you provide us every day. For this beautiful summer, for the beautiful opportunities of people around us that we love and we can share with and reacquaint ourselves with as we travel. In Jesus' name, amen. God be the glory, great things he has done, so loved he the world that he gave us his son, to give his life and atonement for sin, and open the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Go to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory, great things He has done. O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God. Who truly believes the moment from Jesus a pardon receives? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. To the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. He has taught us great things He has done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. Our pure and high and greater will be our wonder, our transport through Jesus we see. 
Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. To the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. to the presence of the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for this marvelous day as we come to you. We share the opportunities of being in your family and to know that we're forgiven and to know that we have eternal life. What a tremendous privilege that is, God. And we pray, Father God, especially for this great country. It is awesome, Lord, as we celebrated last week all the wonderful people who put their lives on the line so that we could be free here and worship you in joy and happiness in Christ. I thank you, Lord, especially for those who came back who still bear the wounds of the hurt <clears throat> that war brings, but yet still, Lord, we're free. And we're so thankful for these people. And also we're thankful for you for providing us with this. We thank you, God, too, that you have given us a government. I thank you for the early fathers of this nation that labeled it out and hang it out and put it all together. And God, I pray that the people who are now in charge, Lord, that they will truly follow your way and that kind of heart that wants the best that you have for this people in America. I pray for the church right now, too, Lord, that this is fractured. And I pray, Father God, that you will, as years have gone, centuries have gone and come, there's always been issues going on, Lord, and I just pray that you will be honored and glorified. I pray for a friend right now in Iowa who, as a pastor, many churches are going to be leaving and disassociating with the Methodist church. Just be with him. Give him strength. Give him the faith that is necessary in all those churches. We're standing strong for the gospel. I pray also, too, for our church. You have put us here for a purpose, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we go out into our worlds that we can be the light that you call us to be. I pray especially, Father God, too, for those in our loved ones in this congregation who are shut in. I think of Bill, and for now his finding out that he also has cancer. Not only was his Parkinson's, but now his cancer. I pray for Ghani, who ministers to him. I pray for Lucille. I pray for Joyce Rigland, who's got more issues now in her health. I pray for Karen, too, Lord. Let's be with her. I think our brother Darrell, who grieves the loss of his wife, and has showed his family and many around him how to be faithful all those years to her especially in her last year of Alzheimer's. I pray also, too, for our sister Judy as she continues to heal and for Everett, for all the tests and all that he's gone through and now his shoulder being operated on. I think of our friends Todd and Angie, and Todd with his heart and Angie with cancer and Samantha 
And for Jason and Jordan, all these who are battling cancer, Jesus. I just pray that you'll be with them and bring healing to them. We pray also, too, for those who are addicted. Jordan, Ryan, David, Eric, Ricky, Mitch. The battle that they have every day in battling their addictions. And I pray, Father God, too, for others that we know that have been devastated in their lives this week. We pray especially about the craziness that's going on and people are being shot. And also the undercurrent in our society of people who are trying to change our society. And working very hard to remove the Judeo-Christian heritage that we were founded on. I pray, Father God, that we in the church can hold standard high of what you have for our world. I thank you for the word today. I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount and what you taught your disciples and Jesus. And now, Father God, be with us as we hear your word today. And it's through Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. <clears throat> Conflict is always around us, is it not? I was reading about Winston Churchill and also Lady Astor. She was the first woman in Parliament... She served from 1918 to 1945, but her and Winston Churchill had a tremendous adversarial relationship. One day they were voting on something and she said, Winston, I'm tired of this. If you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. And he replied, if I were your husband, I would have drank it. That's how adversarial they are. And we see how oftentimes people can become adversarial and there's not peace. And today Jesus speaks to us about peace. A little girl was preparing a paper in her sixth grade class and she was writing it and her dad said, what are you writing on? She said, peace. He said, that's an awful big topic for a little girl. She said, no, not really because I have two other classmates going to help me with this. Very naive. And we see that in our world. How naive we can be about peace. Not only about the peace of the world, but in our churches and in our lives, at work, in our neighborhoods. It's amazing. And what we see sometimes, people regret not having that peace in their homes. How many of us would stand by the coffin of our beloved husband or wife that died and say, I wish we would have fought just a little bit more. That would be foolishness. I was listening to a fellow who said his, he's a pastor and his grandmother at the coffin of his grandfather. She said, you know what? I would have been a wish I would have been a lot less critical of him and how he acted in the way he lived because he was such a good guy. The Bible comes to us today about peace. We've gone over what Jesus had spoken about, how we're to live. If you remember, the Sermon on the Mount began with Jesus pulling his disciples around. In fact, these photos that you see are actually place where Jesus preached this. And basically the preaching of it was really not preaching to a crowd. Well, they, they listened. He was speaking to his disciples. He was laying out to them the attitudes that we as Christians should have every day. 
how we should believe about ourselves. And we know that they've been misinterpreted and used. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we should realize how impoverished we are spiritually and how we need Jesus. And that how we should live our lives is that we should mourn over our sin. And that we should feel sorry for them as we to the cross. And that how we are towards God reminds us of how we need to look at God. And to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. And we've seen it since the beginning of time in Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned. Cain and Abel. They fought. Cain killed Abel. Because he was dissatisfied with his brother. Because his brother had a better worship experience than he did. And God favored him above himself. Jesus is speaking to these disciples. Because he knows how contentious conflict is going to enter their lives. How incessant strife is going to enter them as they walk through the streets and they proclaim this gospel. And when the Bible speaks about peace often, 400 times in fact, the word in the Hebrew is shalom. The word in the Greek is eirene. And the shalom is not the absence of activity or not the absence of hostility or even reality. What it is, is a sense of well-being that we're God's. It comes out in, Deuter in Numbers when he gives that last wonderful benediction. When he says, and may the face of the Lord be towards you and give you his peace. That's that tranquility that we as Christians should have. You see, there are different kinds of people in our world. There are, for instance... Peace breakers. There are also peace fakers. And there's peacemakers. Now Jesus never called us to be people who are peacekeepers. That's for the military. But we're to be peacemakers. And all throughout scripture and all throughout our lifetime and all throughout history there have been peace breakers. Thousands and thousands of treaties that have been made between men have been broken. Out of 8,000 years of history that we have, 8% of that time was peaceful. Just 8%. And Jesus calls us to be brothers who don't put. And the church is so, at times... Lacking the peace, especially when people find themselves using their tongues to destroy peace in the church and unity. In fact, Paul speaks about this oftentimes about slander and, and gossiping and all that. That doesn't create that sense of peace and unity. In fact, it destroys it. I was cracking up in psychology today. They did a, a, a questionnaire and survey of people about peace. And one of the things they said, if you could push a button and therefore eliminate any person with no repercussions, 
Would you do it? 60% of the people said they would. One guy wrote in and said, how many of us would be left? Because people think peacemaking is somebody else's problem, somebody in their life. There's also peace fakers. People who claim to be peaceful like to show themselves as peaceful, but they're really not. Yesterday in my devotions on Saturday morning when I was out in the park, I was reading from 2 Samuel. Absalom was not a peacemaker. He was a peace faker. David was a poor father. And he basically was very angry at his father. Because, you see, Absalom's full sister was raped by his half-brother, Amnon. And his anger boiled inside him and he took his sister in and kept her in his house, which was a good thing. But then for two years he plotted to kill his half-brother Amnon. And after he killed his half-brother Amnon, he ran because he knew his father would be upset. But his father never dealt with it. Instead, he didn't talk to Absalom. And Absalom hid out at grandma and grandpa's house. For several years. And then finally Absalom came along and Joab the general of David's army said, I'd like to make peace with my father. He really didn't want to. What he did is he wanted his father okay him to come back towards the kingdom. And he sat out in front of the holy city and began to politic for himself. So much so that he turned the hearts of the people against him and led a revolt to try to kill his father. And his father was on the run for several years. And then what happened was Absalom with his long beautiful hair got caught in a tree one day. And Joab came along and put a spear in him and killed him. But here he had plotted all along by using, Dad, I want to get tight with you again in order to overtake his father. Then there's peacemakers. That's us. We've been called by God to take and create peace where there is no peace. Many different ways. The other day I was called to a situation where a young man in his 20s died. Nobody knows why. And they called me out to be there as a chaplain and the dad came and he was drunk. And he gave this one officer a horrible time and she was female. I don't think he liked females anyway. Very abusive to her and I finally was able to get him removed from the scene and get him calmed down and not harass and also hurt the scene. Because it was an investigation. And you see that's what the Bible says we're to be. We're to go into situations and not avoid them, but be the person who makes the peace. And sometimes that's hard. First, we need to pursue the peace ourselves, And that there's sometimes the Bible says you're going to be lonely when you're a peacemaker because nobody's going to like you. And that we need to pray when we do that. And that we also need to be people who Find joy in doing so. 
And that the Bible says that your feet are beautiful when you go and make that peace. And that you give that peace and help people see it. And that whenever possible, we're to live at peace with others. Oh, you know people that you don't really have a good thing about that are hard to live with, that may not be very peace-minded. And you also know he directs us to give peace. And what the Bible says that we basically get the applaud of heaven for doing that. God applauds and approves us for being peacemakers. In fact, he sets us aside and calls us to that very work. And notice what he says about us. You shall be called sons of God. We reflect our Lord that way. In marriage, for instance, I encourage couples to really think about Colossians 3.15. Because in 3.15, the Bible says there, let the peace of Christ be the umpire. Let him make the call on those situations that you have that you disagree with. And let Christ's peace make that call. And that the Bible also says that we're just like our father when we bring about that peace in our world. And that it's an honor that our father gives us to reflect him. And let's face it, we need the power of God. And that's why the first thing we need to do when we're a peacemaker is that we need to be right with God. We need to be at peace with him. We need to come to Christ and ask him for our forgiveness. And then also that he will give us the confidence of being his adopted child. And loving. Even when there's hatred. And what it takes for us, of course, is to surrender. And that's hard for us to do. Especially when we're at odds with somebody and we disagree with them. Lord Nelson, when he received from the French, General, his giving up on the war, The admiral said to him, Sir, give me your sword. And that was the symbol that he laid down all his weaponry and stopped the fight. You see, we need to make sure we're at peace with God. And then that leads to leading others to peace with God. Helping them see Jesus Christ doesn't want them to live in that adversity. And that they can be peace with those around them. And we need to be at peace too with others. And to help those who are in conflict. Many of us have gone to Catholic churches and we've heard the song. That's a very made out of song which was a very popular saying of St. Francis of Assisi. And those words say, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace.
peace. Where there is hatred, let me love. Where there is injury, bring pardon. You see, as peacemakers, Chuck Swindoll said, we relieve the tension. And we sow love. And we give pardon. We bring about resolution. Oh, I can tell you how hard that is sometimes. But it's challenging. We had a situation that happened with a group of friends and a guy by the name of Sandy wrote this beautiful book about resolution of conflict called The Peacemaker. And it was basically built on what Jesus had said. And Ken Sandy had been a, an appellate court judge for the federal court system and wrote this book and when he retired. How to bring about peace. And it's challenging. Because we have adversarial side. But one of the things we do when we do this. We realize the focus is not on us. Our focus should be on glorifying God. Even if we have something in the fight. That we need to glorify God first. And our desires need to sometimes go aside. That we also look in our own self, and Jesus is going to talk about this later on in the psalm, in the, in the sermon. That we have to remove the log from our eye. And then we gently restore those we have the salt with. And that we help them to sense our forgiveness and their forgiveness from us. And then go and be reconciled. You see there's a crisis in the church today. A lot of times we'll find media preachers who will preach about having peace with Jesus. But the tragedy of it is, is that there's no repentance for where you've been. And you could just have this peace with Jesus and it's really flaky and floppy and... Chief Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. And it's a fraud. Because you need to come to see yourself as Jesus talked about earlier on in this passage where he says we need to see ourselves as poverty of our souls. And mourn over our sins and realize Jesus will heal that and forgive that. And that we need to live a different life. And that is hard for some people. And that we stand tall and tough. Because this is not for cowards. This is tough business. Back in the 4th century, there was a monk who went to Rome and had found out that in Rome the great sport was to have gladiators fighting each other and killing each other. And when he went to the Colosseum, the people were all excited. He couldn't believe it that these people were watching bloodthirsty, waiting for the first kill. And just before, as the gladiators came out and they pronounced, Hail to Caesar. We die for Caesar. 
he jumped down into the Colosseum and stood before two gladiators who were about ready to take it out. And he shouted, in the name of Christ, forbear. And the crowd began to shout, run him through, run him through. Take your sword and run him through. One of the gladiators hit him in the stomach with the butt of the sword. And he went down. And he got up again and stood between them. And in between them, he said, in the name of Christ, forbear. Don't do this. And then one of the gladiators took the sword and did run him through. And he fell to the ground. And his blood began to come out. And in his last breath he said, in the name of Christ, forbear. 80,000 people became quiet. And people began to walk out. That was the last day that the gladiators fought in the Colosseum ever again. Because one little Christian man took a stand and was willing to make a difference. You see, today, as we continue in the Beatitudes, this is what Jesus is speaking to us about. And it's not just for us to retreat. In fact, it's the tragedy of churches and Christians. For many times they have retreated from the world and not gotten involved and stood in between in the gaps. They've set up monasteries. The monastic life to get away from the world. Sometimes we as Christians feel that way. But we can't. Because Jesus doesn't allow that option to happen here. He's talking about us getting ourselves right with ourselves. Seeing our sin as, as, as we really are and then coming to God in Christ. And how we're to view God. And now he says as you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. As you're seeking peace in people's life. Now it's your turn to get in the battle. Because the next verse, chapter 10, he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus is not saying, no, instead, not retreat, but get in there. And don't get persecuted for stupidity's sake. Don't be persecuted for laziness sake. Don't be persecuted for being obnoxious. I know some Christians that are obnoxious. And they offend people because of the gospel. And one guy I was training one time and he walked into a fellow who had just gotten out of the hospital because he hit a wall on his motorcycle and was in a quadriplegic. And he walked in and he said, Sean, you're going to hell. We're talking about being obnoxious. He might have been right. 
but terrible tact. It took a long time to break through that with Sean until he finally came to Christ. But that fellow was told in no uncertain terms, you either be more tactful or you find another way. He didn't want to be tactful. He just wanted to do it his way. And he no longer went with us. And you see, a lot of people say, oh, it's so sad I don't have any Christians in my neighborhood. Oh, I wish I had some Christians at work that I had around me. It would be so good. And Jesus is saying to us today, you're my missionary in those areas. That's why I've put you there. Not to retreat, but to get on the offensive. That's the tragedy. Churches in the 50s were built on corners. And they looked like castles. You know why? Because we were saying to the world, we're shutting you out. And yes, we need to retreat from the world, but then we're to be a, a launched army to change the world. This fall, I've talked to you about it. I'm going to be doing a course out of 1 Peter 3, where it says, in your hearts, Make Jesus Christ as Lord. And we know that. But you do that every day. But then be prepared. To make the defense. Of what you have inside you. And do it with gentleness and reverence. And I'm going to tell you. We're going to talk about. Homosexuality. Abortion. We're going to talk about transgenders. Because these are the world we're bumping into right now. And they need to hear the gospel. That's why they're doing what they're doing. They're unhappy with God. And with his righteousness. And we need to show them there's a better way. That's why God sent his son. And that we should rejoice in those mission fields he's given to us. And we know that the world will disdain that for a while. Some of them will never come around. We all know that. And there are people who've been in church that maybe you're even your friends. Who've now walked away from the faith. Or that have learned it but are not longer involved with the church. And they're looking at the world having a great time and they're saying, I want to be part of that. And they never knew him. One of the saddest things I think. I read about this week was Friedrich Nietzsche. Do you remember Nietzsche? He was the one who influenced Hitler. Survival of the fittest. The Superman. That's where Hitler got his SS group from. And did you realize that Nietzsche was the son of a preacher? And not only was he a son of a preacher, but his grandfather was also a preacher. And he rejected it all. He wrote his first book in college called Antichrist. Where he devalued everything that Jesus ever said. He said this is baloney. This servant on the mountain to be attitudes. It's bull. And now we need people who are not meek. We need to power up and be in stroll and be strong. That's what he said. 
And that's they were re raising that up in Hitler's regime. And yet another guy who was raised in that same environment by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood strong in his faith, trusted Christ, and worked to overcome that and bring the downfall of Germany. And Jesus says it to us very gently through Paul. Second Timothy chapter 3. Indeed, you who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. There will be people in your life who you love, who will reject you. I've had this. Growing up, I can remember cousins when I came home from college and they'd laugh at me for being in Jesus. they make a joke about it. We would see families, Sandy and I, when we were ministering in New Jersey, families who were raised in churches, who when they came to our church and came to know Christ, they were mocked, made fun of. Because you see, they hate Jesus. And they hate his righteousness. When you live in the righteousness of God, they're not going to like you. Because what you do is you're going to be a mirror that reflects to them that they're not getting this. And they may think they're good people, and they're not. And they're living to their own selfishness. And that we live differently. And that spots a light on them. We cherish chastity before marriage. They want free sex with anybody at any time. We talk about self-control. They want just full indulgence. We are called to live a simple, happy life, enjoying Christ. And they want just pure luxury. That we're called to be humble. And they want to live in evil pride. You see, the seven Beatitudes naturally pour into this eighth one. Blessed are you who are cursed, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For yours is the kingdom of God. Charles Spurgeon was oftentimes depressed because many people mocked him. The press was not always good to him. He had a situation that helped, affected him and killed many people during one of his services in his large cathedral. And he was blamed. And he had a hard time letting go of that. And one of the things his wife did is put the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, above his bed. So that every night he would read it on the ceiling. And when he got up, he read it before he got out of bed. And she helped him to see that he was doing what was right and pursuing righteousness. And you'll be persecuted. You will always be popular. High school kids, college kids. When everybody is cheating, maybe you won't. 
or when you become the whistleblower at work. You'd be ignored. And it's interesting in verse 10 and 11, he also says, Blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted, you. Say all kinds of evil, you falsely, for my name's sake. It's very interesting the wording that he uses. Because in verse 10, it's pretty general. But verse 11 gets really particular. And Jesus lists three types. Number one, we're going to be insulted. All kinds of verbal abuse will come. When we're going to be persecuted, that means to be chased, hunted down, sometimes even physically abused. And the third is when people will say false things about us, make up stories like they did with Jesus in his trial. And he says the reason for it is two reasons. Number one, because you're living the righteous life and people don't like that. And number two, verse 11, you're going to do it because you're doing it for me. And they haven't liked me either. For righteousness and an account of him. And we need to walk boldly here. And that people hate righteousness, especially when they see they might get in trouble for it. They resent it when you call it into question. And that we have to understand also that there's a spiritual warfare going on here. It's just not people. That the devil is at work too. And that we're persecuted for Jesus' sake. The devil did not like Job. And he put Job on the cooker before God. Because God said to him, hey, he's my poster boy. He's doing it the right way. And of course, Satan said, well, take away all the blessings. Let's see how good he does for you. He withstood Paul says it the same way. And Paul sees it as a way in which we take for the sake of Christ. That we are blessed because we're doing it for Christ. Many of you have been seeing on the TV the debacle that we talk about the Bud Light We're also hearing about Target. But then there's the L.A. Dodgers who took a stand. And on their Gay Pride Day, they invited into a group to do their performance. And the name of the group is the Nuns of Perpetual Indulgence. And these folks, the lid is off. And what they do in this act that they do, and the Dodgers first said no, back down, and then they had pressure from the community, and so they're letting them come. 
And basically what they do is bring Christ on a cross and they have people do all these exotic and lewd acts in front of Christ on the cross, crawling over him and doing all these things to Christ. And I understand my Catholic friends who are super angry. Before number one, one of them has a sister that's a nun, mocking these women who have devoted their lives to be, Jesus, to be with Jesus Christ. But then to take Christ, which we are really angry about, and mock him like this. Ridiculous. It's satanic. And my hat is off to Clayton Kershaw, one of the pitchers for the L.A. Dodgers. Who's taken a stand. And so is another one of his teammates. That is taking a stand to boycott. L.A. Dodgers that day. And this could have. Ramifications for their career. But as Kershaw said. I don't care. It's all about Christ. You see friends. We need to do that. Otherwise, the society is going to continue to spawn out of control. We see it. In our world today. How many people really want to get involved? On a personal basis. A friend of mine was in the park. Yesterday. Jogging through the park. And there was a young man laying on the blacktop. He had overdosed. And as a little woman, she stopped and tried to check him. And I've warned her to carry a weapon, and she was carrying at that time. And there were people just passing by. They had phones. They could have called 911. They just passed by. Sounds like the Samaritan, doesn't it? And finally, a young man who was in the military stopped and helped and saved that man's life. See, and we need to expect this is our world. Don't want to be bothered. And yet we're going to see persecution manifest in our families. I see this in some of my young relatives today who bought into the woke movement. And they kind of snicker sometimes at me when I make some statements. And I pray for their children who are being to be affected by this. Persecution will come too in our social life. There's going to be people who are going to ignore us. My daughter and her friend have come to that realization. Even though they've shown their friends love, they've gotten snubbed. Expect it, folks. And even at work. Tertullian in the second century. Underneath Nero. Do you realize that Christians in Rome had to compulsory do what they call is the babithless. 
And what that meant is that every year you had to come before the Roman government and pledge that Caesar is your Lord. And they would give you a certificate. And if you had that certificate, you could worship your God wherever you want, but you had to have that certificate. And if not, some had homes taken from them, some lost their jobs and were imprisoned, and some of them even were candles to light the garden for Nero in his backyard during his parties. They were burned alive. My friends, Jesus calls us, he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad that you're being persecuted. But you're having a badge of honor as the prophets who suffered. And know that God is being honored through what you do. No matter what kind of persecution you may go through. Because it produces perseverance in your life. It helps us to see the real priority in our life. And that when we're weak, God can work through great things in our lives. And what I want to encourage you to do is stand strong. John Rogers was being taken to be burned. And his children came alongside as they were watching the men cart their dad off in the 1500s. And as they were crying, they were saying to their dad, all five of them, Dad remained faithful. See Jesus. Don't back down, Dad. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's one of my heroes. One of the best books I've ever read is The Cost of Discipleship. You want to read a book for conviction? That's the one. Because he gives a commentary about Matthew and then he talks about how he did this. How he did not take a cush job in New York City during World War II, but went back to Germany to stand against the Hitler regime. And in 1945, just before the war was over, the Germans at the camp that he was in led him with others to gallows. And as he approached the gallows, he said to his doctor in the camp, this is the end, but for me it's the beginning of my life. And at peace, he walked up to that gallow and that doctor said, in all my 45 years of a doctor, I never saw a person die with such resignation that he was doing the will of God. And was at peace. Now, God, I pray that he doesn't call us to that in this country. But he is calling us to stand. We need to, folks. And whatever you can find a place to stand, whether it's in your family or at your job, in your community, please, we need to stand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today that, Jesus, you took a stand for us against our sin.
and our rebellion. And you put yourself on the cross so that we could be saved. And we pray, Lord, that we can do the same to stand for your truth and the gospel and to do it in a way of love and reverence and respect. And we know, Lord, that there's going to be people who are not going to be happy about what we do and what we say. But we know that the truth sets us free. And that your way of righteousness is the only way. Help us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to endure and be strong. And give us, as the word says, give us the words we need to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in our worship as we receive the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take it and eat this. This is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took this bread and he broke it and said, take and eat, this is my body which has been broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Amen. In like manner also, Jesus took the cup. And when they had supped, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled for our behalf. Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious gift, Jesus. You went to that cross for us so that we can be free. We can have the assurance of eternal life and to live a life free of guilt and sin. I just thank you, Lord, for this wonderful gift and the opportunity to remember this wonderful thing. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Please rise to receive the benediction. Now may the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me.